Predictions are dangerous. We absolutely need more inventory. The Fed doesn't actually have a lot of tools to regulate inflation. That cash has dried up. Wow, is my first thought, Bruce. If both parties don't win, it doesn't happen. The Real Look. Trending News. Today's Wednesday, May 10th. I'm Bruce Hardy. And I'm Chase Williams. And this is the news you need to know. Well, Chase, it's uh, earnings season. Several of the uh, big publicly traded real estate companies have reported their earnings. And if we begin, Redfin showed that their Q1 revenue declined 45% year over year to $325.7 million and also saw its gross profits from its real estate services. They took a tumble. And of course, everybody's blaming the harsh housing market. What are your thoughts about what's going on with Redfin right now? Well, Bruce, I think they're not alone in their experience, right? I think there is some credibility to what's happening in the overall market. But the reality is it's really not that harsh of a market in general. It's a harsh market compared to the incredible market we were experiencing year over year, right? So regardless, that's going to produce some pretty significant declines, whether that's revenue, profit, et cetera. And Earnings season, given the market conditions, is not the most fun season for a lot of these CEOs. (laughs) Certainly, Redfin CEO Glenn Kelman is very optimistic in his communication around the earnings, as are a lot of these CEOs. I commend them for that. It's got to be challenging, given some of these numbers. But I think they're in good company, if you will. Yeah, I think that what's interesting here too, Chase, right, like you said, This isn't necessarily a particularly bad market right this minute, but it's off of historic highs. And what you realize is is that capacity is a killer when a market shrinks, right? You've got the capacity to do more business, but you're not using that capacity. And instead, it's costing you money. So even though revenues are down, we're seeing these companies just taking a beating in terms of their bottom line right? Profitability being down so much. Uh, What I thought was interesting about this particular report, beyond the financials, right, and the losses that they took in the first quarter, you know, Kelman said, we're drawing online visitors away from our main rivals, and our brokerage has gotten more efficient. For the second quarter, we expect gross margin gains in our core business for the first time since 2021. Now, during the first three months of the year, Redfin's market share actually declined 1% annually from 0.79% to 0.78%. And that loss was reflected in brokerage real estate service transactions, which declined 31%. So what that tells me is not only are they being hammered by the market, but they're actually losing their share of the market share. And that's not a strong indicator for their earnings. No, it's not, Bruce. And kind of maybe taking this a little bit different route, you know, Redfin's been touted in the past as one of the disruptors in the market, and yet they still have less than 1% market share and declining over the first three months of this year. So if you're publicly communicating to your investors and the public markets that you're a disruptor and your market share is declining along with your revenue, your profit, your gross margin, that's a rough earnings report. One bright spot, you know, in the report is that despite the decline in transactions, the revenue per transaction experienced a slight uptick, increasing 3.26% year over year to $11,556. 
Now, I got to imagine, Bruce, that that little piece of good news is due to prices still increasing over last year and holding now, as well as we reported this last week, the average commission actually going up. One silver lining piece of the story for Redfin, the revenue per transaction slight uptick. So I think they should probably take every win they can get. Well, absolutely. And and I think that what's really fascinating about this too, right, is they've launched Redfin full service and their luxury, which is Redfin Premier. So those margins are going to be better for them in those two segments, right, as opposed to being the flat out discounted that they are. So what I think is fascinating here, right, as you said, they have come into the market and been viewed as a disruptor. And if we look at one of the true legacy companies in our industry, that would be anywhere, right? Formerly Realogy, formerly Sendant, <laughs> all these different names, right? But that is the conglomerate that owns Cobalt Banker, Century 21, Sotheby's, Corcoran, ERA, Better Homes and Gardens. It's a combination of brands. Well, Anywhere reported a $138 million net loss in the first three months of 2023 as revenues were down 31% year over year. So, Chase, you know, here we are now looking at one of the legacy companies. What are your thoughts about what's going on there? Well, I'm a little surprised by this, Bruce, because part of the story is talking about anywhere stock going into freefall late Wednesday and then most of it being recovered within the same day. What's interesting about that to me is that these revenue declines were basically predicted by CEO Ryan Schneider on a February call which isn't surprising, right? Like we know what was happening in the market, right? Like short-term predictions are much easier than long-term predictions. So Ryan and the crew knew that it was going to be a rough quarter. And even those of us from the outside looking in might have guessed that. And yet the market reacted in such a way that it hadn't priced some of that in already. And maybe that's why, even though it free fell, a lot of that was recovered in the same day. I'm not really sure. I would have thought that if he was predicting these kind of results, which aren't so great, back in February, that the market it wouldn't have reacted so volatile you know, when the earnings report came out, but it certainly did that day. Well, and it does show just how volatile the stock market is right now. I mean, every day it's a roller coaster ride. You know, what I thought was interesting and certainly smart on their part, right? They were able to realize $50 million in cost savings during the first quarter. That's a big deal, right? We've talked about this numerous times, how you've got to cut expenses when the business is down. And so their volume's down 30% with their units down 29%. Schneider on the call said companies' losses were meaningfully impacted by new legal costs associated with the ongoing antitrust lawsuit that was newly certified in March as a class action case. Again, we've talked about this on our news reports. This is meaningful right? I mean, they're spending millions and millions of dollars to go fight this, right? As are all the other companies and NAR who have been named in this particular lawsuit. What that led to was that the company actually spent nearly half its remaining cash in the first quarter of this year. So they ended the period with $122 million in cash and cash equivalents. And by the way, at the end of 2022, they had $214 million in cash. That's actually the most disturbing part of the story to me, because it's been said that cash is like oxygen. Once you're out, mm -hmm. you're dead. And to burn through half in one quarter uh, is quite concerning, given the fact that you're you know losing money like crazy. And there's probably not a lot of short-term opportunity to rebuild some of that cash without going and raising it, right? You know, Ryan Schneider also mentioned that 
based on some of those costs that you described, had cost cuts substantially and remained well positioned to capitalize on the eventual housing market recovery. Now, while that's optimistic, my question would be, why are you relying on the greater broad market in order to be profitable? And eventual is a very broad time frame, Bruce. If I'm a shareholder in anywhere, I appreciate the optimistic communication. And yet it makes me a little nervous that you spent half your cash. You're using a word like eventual and you haven't yet figured out a way to make money in a challenging real estate market because this is a cyclical business and this kind of feast or famine nature is really challenging for shareholders, generally speaking, in the marketplace. And you and I aren't in necessarily in the prediction business. We talk about that. And yet no one can predict how long this downturn is going to last. Right. So I'm with you on that, Chase. I'd be nervous about my cash burn. When you take into consideration that in the fourth quarter of last year, Anywhere reported a loss of $453 million, or nearly the amount of its total net income from the previous six quarters combined. Obviously, they cut that cash burn from the fourth quarter to the first quarter, but you know, getting positive is going to be critical for them as they continue to move forward. The sluggish housing market and lukewarm economy appear to have dinged portal giant Zillow this year, with the company's latest earnings report revealing that between January and March, revenues sank while losses rose. In fact, in the first quarter of 2023, Zillow brought in $469 million in revenue, and that was down 13% from the $536 million Zillow brought in in the first quarter of 2022. So what thoughts do you have around this? Well, a lot of similarities here, Bruce, right? Like revenues are falling, which again, when you get really big like Zillow, you have this law of big numbers and you typically model the market more than somebody who maybe is smaller, although not always. The challenge is the capacity challenge that you mentioned. Revenues are falling so fast that you can't cut expenses quickly enough in order to protect that margin or profit. That's just a tough thing to do. Once again, you have a very optimistic tone from Zillow CEO Rich Barton saying, we're starting to see our investments pay off with first quarter financial results that outperformed the top end of our outlook. (laughs) And that's a really nice way of saying that. Even though they were really crappy, they were not as crappy as we thought they might have been. I know I'm laughing here and it's funny to me, but I do really respect and appreciate the ability of some of these folks to remain optimistic. They need to do that for their shareholders and the people that work there. Certainly, they still have a strong attachment to the vision of where they're going. So I appreciate that. Yeah, they can get pretty creative with their use of words. I agree. What was interesting was Zillow's mortgage business took the biggest hit with revenue falling 43% year over year in the first quarter. Revenue from Zillow's residential segment, which includes the premier agent lead generation program, fell 14% to $361 million. I want to be clear to our, our listeners here, Chase, and that is that $361 million was commission dollars paid to agents who then had to hand that money over to Zillow as a part of that premier agent program. Barton said that uh, the drop in residential revenue was driven primarily by lower premier agent revenue as a result of weakness in the overall housing market. Again, nobody should be surprised. We know that the total number of units being sold is down significantly, right? 30% is a big hit. Of course, if you're relying on the revenue that comes from those sales, your revenue is going to be down. So I'm not surprised by this. 
Yeah, you got it, Bruce. And you can tell in Rich Barton's comments going forward in the article and in past comments that really his focus is not even on the profitability necessarily or even the revenue. It's on building what they're calling a super app, right? Rich says that 2023 is critical for Zillow and that it's focused on building its super app. He reiterated that point during a call with investors Wednesday afternoon, adding that we continue to live in a very challenging macro housing environment with no indications of a turn. Funny that Rich actually doesn't see an indication of a turn. Glenn Kelman in the previous story thinks that it's going to turn maybe later in the year. So there you go with predictions, right? But regardless, Bruce, and you mentioned it before we started recording, Zillow's plan is to try to get to the top of the funnel. That is always where they've been headed. That's still where they're headed. And they're just lucky enough to have a lot of cash to burn through to get there. Indeed, they do. Because of their sheer size and the amount of data that they process, it gives us a pretty good view you know, from 30,000 feet of the industry. A highlight for them, for Zillow in the first quarter, right, was their rental business, which saw revenue increase 21% compared to the same period a year earlier. So we know that the constriction on affordability in the housing market is driving that rental market. So further evidence of that. I loved what Barton said. Well, I don't love it. But again, right, it's in contrast to some of the other reports. He said, while we may see rates come down at any time, we're certainly not counting on it, which shows you they have a view of this industry because of just the sheer size and the amount of data that's coming through. But yeah, I think as an industry, we just need to watch cautiously with regards to their desire and their drive to build this super app for real estate. You know, and again, Chase, we've talked about this, right? Every major participant in the industry is looking to do that. Really, whoever gets to the consumer first and can build that relationship is going to have an advantage over everyone else. That is a fear I have, to be quite honest. I share that fear, Bruce. I think that an analogy would be fishing upstream, right? Like if you and I are going to go fish a really great stream, like I'm going to race to beat you to be upstream because I want to get the best hole and I want to get a chance at the fish before they get down to you. And that's what we're experiencing here, right? And for the real estate agent, that's something that we really need to be paying attention to, right? Now, what beats the concept of Zillow capturing one of your clients in their upstream fishing? Well, relationship beats that because they can look at whatever they want on the internet. If you have the right relationship with them, the chance of them being caught, quote unquote, right, is much lower. They don't have the relationships yet, right? They're trying to capture these people. You know, he noted in the earnings report that the company's having success offering on-demand home tours via showing time and that people who request a tour convert to actual real estate consumers at higher rates. And he said, real-time touring is improving our funnel. Most consumers finance their home purchases with a loan, and that may also begin their home buying journey by searching for a mortgage, and that many such individuals don't start off with an agent. Zillow consequently sees opportunities both in connecting consumers to agents and in providing mortgages. And again, Chase, as an industry, we need to get ahead of this and we need to build relationships with our client database. Yeah, that's interesting, right? Another shout out to Rich. We just got done reporting that their biggest losses were in their mortgage sector and they're going to beef up their mortgage business, right? With this effort to fish farther upstream. One thing I'd say about that, Bruce, that could be a challenge. 
Although, you know, selling mortgages as part of a package deal, this end-to-end kind of consumer relationship can be very profitable. Mortgages aren't near as sexy as real estate. We know it. It's always been the case. It's typically why mortgage lenders prospect realtors because they know they're fishing downstream, right? It doesn't mean that it's a bad move necessarily because if you can sell someone a house and you can sell them a mortgage, like two thumbs up, I appreciate where Zillow would go with that. But I would definitely not say that you're going to be fishing upstream talking about mortgages and rates, particularly given the current situation with rates, but just in general. Boy, job growth numbers surprised again in April, this time rising more than expected. Total non-farm payroll employment rose last month by 253,000 jobs compared to March. And that's according to data released on Friday by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And in fact, wage growth is up 4.4% over the past year. This came from Mike Fratantoni, the Mortgage Banker Association chief economist, and he said in a statement, this rate of growth is likely faster than would be consistent with the Federal Reserve's 2% inflation target. So what thinks you of this? <laughs> if that's true, and I believe it could be, right? Like, again, like a really strong job market in part indicates still a really strong underlying economy which might indicate that our friends at the Federal Reserve may not be done hiking interest rates quite yet, which is what the article spells out, Bruce. And that's something that people have been hoping that maybe they were done for a lot of obvious reasons regarding the cost of money. And yet they may not be because if the economy is still roaring in certain key pieces and they can't get a hold of inflation, that's one of their primary levers, as we've always talked about, right? Yeah. And we know that it's sort of a two-edged sword because you know they need to slow the economy down. And every time they do this, they're putting more and more of these regional banks at risk, right? We're still seeing turmoil in the banking sector. How that impacts the Fed's decisions is still yet to be seen. What I thought was really interesting about this, Chase, so not only did we increase the number of job openings, but unemployment fell slightly from 3.5% down to 3.4%. And by the way, that is the lowest unemployment rate since 1953. Like you said, the signals are mixed. We're trying to slow this economy down. And yet we've got, for us, generationally unheard of unemployment rates, which is still driving the economy. Yeah, there is some optimism in the story, Bruce, from Lisa Sturdivant, Bright MLS's chief economist, saying that the strength of most local housing markets is highly dependent on the local employment situation. So even if the Fed increases the federal funds rate again next month, it's possible that mortgage rates could come down. That's a very optimistic statement. In a lot of ways, I hope she's right. (laughs) We'll have to continue to pay attention to not only what the Fed does, but how that impacts the mortgage rates, right, as far as the real estate industry goes. Absolutely. Well, and, and we saw the mortgage market had already factored in the rate increase this month, and we've started to see rates inch down since those rates were announced. Well, that's the news you need to know. Don't miss this Friday's Northern Lights episode, where we'll interview David Hoggard on the North Oregon coast with Keller Williams Sunset Corridor. Thanks again for tuning in with us on The Real Look. This podcast is produced by Marissa Frost. Visit kwnwr.com to access the show notes from today's episode. Head over to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe to The Real Look. And don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week 
with a breakdown of all things real estate.